Hey everyone and welcome to a new episode of Your Right Pal. This week I'm joined by one of my rugby teammates. I've actually known him for quite a while now. He was my personal trainer back in the day. And then we reconnected when I joined the Glasgow Raptors this summer. So yeah, there seems to be a bit of a pattern here, Tony. So when you're going to moustache, Roscoe? Well, do you know what? Obviously, I've got cracking bone structure. <laughs> and I have me, no? <laughs> you didn't let me finish. I didn't quite like that laugh there, actually. My cracking bone structure. I, my face requires a full beard, so... Try to hide something, are we? Well, yeah, trying to make up for something, let's just say that. <laughs> so, bigger the beard, the... Yeah, the bigger the beard, and yeah, if anybody knows me, the bigger... <coughs> anyway, so yeah, we're maybe going off topic here. So yeah, me and you have known each other for quite a while now. We've spoken beforehand about the topics that you're going to speak about today, and I think they're extremely important. I'm really looking forward to hearing them, and we'll absolutely love hearing your story as well. So yeah, first of all, can I ask, where did you grow up in Glasgow? Um, so I grew up in the east end of Glasgow, in an area called Mount Vernon, and I went to school in Mount Vernon initially. And I also went to secondary school in uh, Bailston, I went to Bannerman. Quite important to speak about where I grew up. Yeah. Um, you know, Glasgow is a predominantly white city, and Scotland's a predominantly white country. Mm-hmm. 2% of the population are people of colour. Probably can't hear it in my voice, but I am a person of colour as well. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the East End, which is predominantly a white area, and... In my primary school, there were four people of colour, my brother and two cousins from my mum's friend, who was my fake aunt. So the four people, they were actually family, the rest of them? The, my brother was one, yeah. yeah, and the other two were just fake cousins. Oh, I, fake cousins my mum's pals, you know, you've got all yeah, those yeah, fake yeah, aunties, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Like, um, so my mum's pals, kids. Uh, and in my secondary school, there was a bit more people of colour. There was maybe like between 10 and 20 out of a school of 2,000. So that, <laughs> that kind of shows you... Not many, no. Like, um, so the reason why I want to mention that is because it did really shape a lot of my teen years, a lot of my 20s, and a lot of my behaviours, basically. So yeah, that's kind of important, I think, to talk about. In terms of how it's affected my mental health, it's something I didn't really understand how it affected my mental health until I properly got into my mid to late 20s and you start to kind of hit that self-discovery phase Mm -hmm. but when I think about when I first experienced mental health like um, you know I'm not straight so like um, also like I tick that box as well I just tick all the boxes basically (laughs) (laughs) so when when I first experienced mental health is when I was actually regardless of the race side of things um, was when I first kind of dealing with my sexuality and my identity and that's kind of when I first understood mental health really like so that was kind of you know mid to late teens when I started to understand I was different yeah. and you know I wasn't out with being a person of colour um, I wasn't the same sexually as people around me yeah. everyone was obviously like um, sleeping with girls and trying to kiss girls etc and I got involved just to fit in and ultimately like I got involved in lots of other behaviours as well just to fit in as you know a person of colour in a predominantly Caucasian school. You know, these are the things, as I said, I didn't really understand till I got a bit older. And what it helped me realise was, you know, I struggled with my own identity yeah. for many years because at home, like, um, you know, my family were, my mum and dad especially, were traditionally Indian and conservative. Um, and that had a massive effect on how they would obviously parent me. In school, I was around lots of Caucasian people that had a lot more kind of like relaxed views in their households and their parents kind of like Malawave a lot more etc and that caused lots of issues for me growing up and it did lead towards lots of abuse and escapism with alcohol and drugs Um, but as I say I didn't understand that till later really in a sense like um, and I think it's something that people need to understand that 
my experience growing up in the east end of Glasgow and Glasgow in general is very different from other people's experiences like um, the things that I deal with on a, a regular basis growing up where people shouting remarks in the street shouting abuse and stuff yeah. shouting abuse um, black bastard would use quite a lot like um, go back to your own country which is a phrase which I really struggled with because this is my country you were in your own country like, so how could you where could you go to and I was like where is my country and you know I was born here so I class myself as Glaswegian I class mm. myself as Scottish um, I don't look like your normal uh, Scottish person I'm much better looking than them to be honest <laughs> I'm only joking I'm not so modest <laughs> I'm not so modest. anymore anyway but um, yeah so like that was always a kind of struggle for me because people would say get back to your own country and I'm like well I was born here and yeah my parents are from India but my identity was always kind of like in the air because of that and mm-hmm. I was always confused to who I was I was trying to appease my parents to an extent and do things that they wanted me to do but also I was trying to fit in at school and be the same and be normal as such. You know, what I thought normal was. To me, normal was ultimately what everyone else was doing, in a sense, and that wasn't acceptable to my parents. So that within itself created a lot of issues for me, for for my self-esteem, confidence. like um, Identity? Identity as well. I didn't understand who I was, where I was from. And, you know, when you're a teenager, you're going through all that rubbish anyway, you know, exactly. as it is. So, like that other layer on top of things just made things a lot worse and harder for me in that sense like um, then you throw sexuality into the mix <laughs> like um, it's a big minefield really like um, and I think sexuality we'll go back to race but I think sexuality is where I first noticed mental health and I first started to experience mental health and understand it understand why I was drinking understand why I was doing other stuff on occasion then you throw sexuality into the mix and it adds a completely other layer into it all you know I'm just a kind of like pyramid of problems really <laughs> or I was growing up anyway like um, and you know that's kind of where I first really started to understand that I had poor mental health and how it was affecting me how it was affecting my decisions how it was making me drink more how it was making me sometimes partake in recreational drug use and it was down to the fact I wasn't happy and I wasn't secure I didn't know who I was I was scared you know going back to race a little bit culturally not being straight and is not really like acceptable in a sense like um, I thought I'd get disowned you know all these things are going around in my head and it was like my late teens early 20s where the analogy I like to use is it's like a kind of like you know those pressure cookers with a little whistle on top mm-hmm. it was boiling up boiling up boiling up it was just I was screaming on the inside about what was going on in my head about my sexuality about my identity about my race about my culture about what was right what was wrong and uh, you know I was harming myself by drinking to escape these feelings but it wasn't escaping me and this pressure cooking was building up and it was screaming at me to, to do something about it which eventually led me to come out and tell a few pals that like obviously that I was gay and like um, you know I was just sleeping with women over the past few years to kind of hide the fact I was gay and I was hooking up with guys on the slide basically you know like um, and that was when I first experienced mental health to be honest like um, and understood mental health because it was so intense and it was like I had to do something about it whereas up until that point when it comes down to race I didn't understand that which is bizarre but I was young I didn't understand that people shouting black bastard go home to your own country was affecting me but obviously it was 
it was topping up this pressure cooker, mm-hmm. you know, all these phrases, all these situations. It was building up, building up until it came to a point, of course. And these all had a massive effect on me. When people question where you're from, you know it's not because they want to know that you're from somewhere in Glasgow. You know it's because they think you're from somewhere else, in a sense. And where you're from is obviously quite a kind of hot topic right now, based on that kind of royal situation that happened, because someone got asked that, and one of the one of the staff got asked that, basically. And obviously that was all over the news afterwards. And it is a question that often gets asked, and my first reaction from that question is right you just think I'm not from Glasgow basically you think I'm not Scottish you think I'm from somewhere else because of the colour of my skin and that's something that we have to deal with on a regular basis and it's it affects you obviously you know obviously I can deal with it these days but it does affect you and you know it's almost like it just takes a little bit of pain uh-huh. and it's opening up past trauma when you get asked these questions but you have to deal with it regularly in a sense it's almost like you know opening up that wind again because it's like cutting away at it cutting away at it as soon as you think it's starting to heal over but somebody says something like that that racist comment it's almost like another cut exactly that it's and it's a microaggression effect exactly it's a microaggression and like um you do you're open up past trauma and i think you know we can all be guilty of that of course mm-hmm. in a sense and it's something we all need to be aware of obviously when we are speaking to people about their kind of past or history in a sense and it's something that you know i'm sure i've done before as well but you know it, and i get it can happen but it's you know it's something we need to think about i yeah. think more often as well with other people because it does hurt when people say that kind of stuff to you and they question where you're from because in your head you know where you're from you know and because you're not the same skin colour as them then it doesn't matter it doesn't make any and difference so that has been definitely something which has contributed to my poor mental health over the years and I didn't understand that until I got to my late 20s and I stopped drug abuse I stopped drinking so much and I started to discover myself and discover what it was all about and understand that my early 20s and my mid-20s were shaped by my sexuality to an extent, but also shaped by my teen years and my childhood years when I was facing these regular remarks and it affected my self-esteem, how I viewed myself, and you know that I had a knock-on effect to what I did at the weekends, etc. as well. And I think race is really important because people as I said before people don't have that experience of growing up in an environment like that you know and it's not something that everyone's aware of whereas most likely when you grew up you never got asked or questioned where your family were from what do you do at Christmas what do you do at New Year's like you know what do you do for your birthdays do you have to wear certain things do you have to eat certain things people question your life effectively in a sense like and that does have an effect on you and it's hard to deal with obviously like but it took me a, a good decade or so to get to that point and obviously it did lead to years of alcohol abuse mm-hmm. to years of recreational drug use and that has a bad knocking effect in general as well because that also affects your mental health and also affects your well-being affects your productivity yeah. and affects a lot of your life in a negative way in a sense absolutely and, you know, you, you could look for someone to blame and I could blame all those people in the street over the years, but really, like, um, yes, they are at fault, but also it's something I've probably had to deal with earlier Aye. rather than leaving it and using it, using alcohol and drugs to yeah. deal with it, in a sense. And see, growing up in the area you did in Glasgow, so see these remarks that were said to you, you were very young, mentioned there that you didn't know any better, so you were you were questioning why they were shouting abuse at you. How did your family react to that? So I was always with siblings or parents when that kind of stuff would happen did your mum and dad or siblings or whoever you were with explain it at, at the time in play at the time of the uh, 
the event or whatnot, they would shout back, like okay. really angry about it and really annoyed and upset. Obviously, that was a kind of immediate reaction. Uh-huh. In a sense, my parents, grown up, would always kind of say things to me and my brother and my siblings who were a bit older my older siblings like you're never going to be accepted here you need to kind of stick like because that's what they believed you're going to have to stick to your own you know you need to kind of be careful who you mix with like you know you're different from everyone else and that didn't help either in a sense you know because they were trying to shape me to be this kind of typical Indian person who'd be married off by 25 and have boys to carry the name on etc that leads into my identity crisis and my kind of you know crisis between my sexuality and not wanting to conform to that life that's what they wanted from me you know in a sense and obviously that's not what I've given them at all (laughs) you've got a ruby you've got a baby dog (laughs) you've definitely not I'm all mentioned ruby is actually with us today (laughs) Uh, but yeah that's his baby like uh, yeah she's my also my emotional crutch I like to call her as well but she has my wee baby but like um, yeah my mum wasn't too pleased when I brought home a baby dog and <laughs> I explained that she was a female as well and not a male because obviously boys in Indian culture have a lot more weight on them because they carry on the name so she's okay. a bit as a girl it's like yes mum it's a girl but anyway like um, so my parents always kind of said that kind of stuff to me because that's they came here in the 60s and the 80s and that's they were very much within their community like obviously they did mix as well my dad is really good at mixing to be honest like um, my mum not so as much but like um, they did mix with obviously people of Scotland as well my dad would class himself as Scottish you know before he passed away which we'll probably talk about in this podcast he had the British passport etc he had the Glasgow accent he would say I he would say we mm-hmm. but in their minds they were raising Indian children Aye. in a white Scottish country not understanding how that would have affected me no. obviously dealing with all the outside issues and the outside kind of problems I used to face because of it so yeah that was always their viewpoint in a sense and you know to an extent they're kind of true if you think about the current climate in the country in terms of politics minus the fact we've got a British Asian PM but that just suits the Tories the current climate is very kind of hostile towards people of colour it has been for the last 10 years immigration like you know legislation isn't favourable to um, people of colour at all like um, obviously the Windrush is a huge example of what happened to people that came in the 60s maybe more from the um, islands and like uh, Africa etc and also um uh, just off South America etc sorry Caribbean Islands is what I'm trying to say there like um, but there will be an effect on Indian people as well and also people from like Africa Indians from Africa and also Bangladesh etc and that shows the things that my parents said from a political level have always been like that and parts of the Tory party are believing that really in a sense that kind of imperialism Britain is right you know white's best etc that exists in this country I don't like to think it does because I feel like I've did okay over the last decade or so and managed to kind of be at peace with it and I feel quite accepted in this country to be honest and I, this is my country obviously of course like um, but I do think it is a, it's, a, it's around and Aye. you know I think if my dad was a, my dad's been dead for seven years now but I think he's around now he'd be like I know I told you so in a sense like um, because the funny thing is my brother is actually an immigration lawyer and he works in the home office in London as well (laughs) like uh, and he always he moans about what the government are doing like he really despises the government at the moment and he hates the fact that he's that's his job but it pays the bills doesn't it so he gets lots of abuse for it I'll tell you that now (laughs) like at family parties so yeah race has played a lot into the decisions I made my self-esteem, my confidence, my identity, what I believed was right and wrong growing up and what I did growing up in a sense, like which all fed into my mental health Mm -hmm. and having poor mental health of course, you know, over the years. You know, you're kind of looking for that quick fix which makes you feel great at that time and you forget everything that's going on obviously but then 
you know, the days after are way worse and it affects way more than just your mental health, obviously, as well, relationships, productivity, work, etc. It affects everything. It does, it does, yeah. I can be in a pub in an area of Glasgow that I'm not as familiar with. The example I can give you is on a sub-crawl once for my pal, my pal's 30th and there's a few of us. Mm-hmm. We're in a pub in Partick and me and my friend Naomi, who is also mixed race, um, she's kind of half Egyptian, half Scottish, and obviously like she's also a person of colour, I'm a person of colour. We're standing talking in the pub and this random guy came up to us, Ouija guy, and he was like, oh, where do you come from? And we're both, we knew straight away, because we looked at each other, we're like, we've had this our whole lives. And we're like, oh, we're both from the East End of Glasgow, because we both were from the East End of Glasgow. And they're like, where do you really come from? Oh, no. And that's when you're, like, initially we knew what was going on, obviously, but then it's just that kind of prodding, it's just not acceptable. No. Like, it's just like, it's not acceptable at all, and it's a microaggression, and it's a form of racism. And like, um, these can, like, as I say, these days I can take it in my stride. And, you know, I would sometimes be like, are you really going to ask me this, in a sense, you know, like, and and I will question the person back, you Aye. know, in a sense, because that's what they deserve. Of course. And they get, deserve to get called out on it. But definitely in the past, when I was a bit younger, it did affect me. Uh-huh. It did hurt me. And it's like, you can hear that I'm Scottish. Uh-huh. You know, like, um, I might not look it, but you can fucking hear it in me. Sorry, my, my language. No, no, no. I'm no, a typical exactly. Scottish person, obviously. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, that was it's, it's it's hard. It can be like it can it's a pain in the arse really these days. It's like I'll call the person out, but in the past it did lead towards you know me having really poor mental health, yeah. poor body image, poor self image, low self esteem, like not understanding who I was because uh-huh. I was told that I wasn't from here, uh-huh. even though I was born here, and I thought I was from here, and I was getting told at home that you're born here but you're not from here you're from India when I was, wasn't living there so it was, it was all over the place really like I didn't know who I was and the thing is as well like from when you were a young boy and hearing all this to where we are now it's quite scary to think that not a lot has changed there has definitely change absolutely for me just as somebody from an outsider and a white person looking in it's almost like two steps forward 20 back so change is coming from below uh-huh. weirdly um, BLM obviously oh. has kind of been a huge factor in that as well um, social social media has been a huge factor in that as well people are now starting to understand the experience of certain people in this country i.e. people of colour mm-hmm. they're starting to kind of f- find out what's happened how we've had less opportunity mm-hmm. how we've had less um, what's the word we've had more abuse oh. effectively like you know it's. I think it's now in the fo- it's now in the forefront of people's minds and people have now started to realise what's been going on so, so change is coming from below in my opinion from the younger generations government obviously at top are they've been bringing out racist legislation in the um, home office for the last 10 years to be honest since since Theresa May effectively mm-hmm. to be honest she's the one that started it when she was the head of that uh, office like um, and that is to appease a part of the party but it does influence how people yeah. like view people as well yeah. and what they say to people because obviously there's lots of like um, like reports of crime going up mm-hmm in terms of like racism, xenophobia, mm-hmm. etc. as well. So that and that is due to the fact that people above are seeing these things. And I don't think by putting a person of colour in office is going to change the views because that's what the Tories party think, you know. Is that what you your understanding of is is if we put somebody in Like Pretty Patel was there before because she's a brown female. Who was horrendous. It, well exactly, but she's a brown female. Aye. So that's why she was there in my opinion it's optics. Aye. Like the Tory party love optics because it's all they kind of play with at the moment, in a sense, when it comes down to it. Like, they're pretty racist. Mm-hmm. Just because uh, Pretty Patel, Rishi Sunak, 
and Taylor Braverman are all kind of like of Indian descent that's okay you know no it's not okay in my opinion like, do you think it's almost like giving them they see it as like it's almost permission in a way because if you they, they present somebody who is a person of colour that they're almost ticking that box so it's like well you can't you can't call us racist or you can't I definitely believe um, if we look at current politicians in power and over the last few years and we look at the Tory party I definitely believe certain people are in their positions for the optics of what we view the Tory party as because obviously the current PM is a British Asian, British Indian um, we've had Pretty Patel in a head position recently, Sajid Javid like um, Taylor Braverman you know, these are all people of colour in key positions and I believe it does suit the Tory party to have them in there the example I can give you is the issues that Lady Farsi faced and what she came out and said that there's a lot of Islamophobia in the party so it does show their racism there mm-hmm. regardless of who's in charge in a sense and like um, she was forced to leave the party yeah. and lost a whip etc and she spoke out about what happened to her and Islamophobia is still racism regardless of the fact that the Indian PM is a person of colour it's still racism and that's still available it's still in the party and I definitely believe certain sections of that party you maybe look more towards the right have caused a lot of the issues that we face in the streets today with rising kind of hate crimes against people of colour and that's driven by them so yeah it might look good to have a person of colour in a key position but really is that going to make the change that we need is it going to solve anything I don't think so unless policies are solved the other example I can give you is the Windrush scandal Mm -hmm. in a sense like um, you know it's almost like in the 50s and 60s people of colour were brought here from the colonial countries which is a whole podcast of in itself colonialism like um, to help rebuild the economy rebuild the country but only on a temporary basis based on what we needed in this country for you to do and now you can go back home and that's kind of as I mentioned before that's what my parents used to say to me and the fact that that happened my dad had been it'll be raging <laughs> you know like because um, that's what he always viewed things and that's what I got told growing up you know as I say I can take it in my stride now and it's something that I, I do but definitely in the past it was a lot for me to deal mm-hmm. with and hard to deal with in a sense like um, and I think as I say people understand the experience that some of us go through mm-hmm. oh absolutely obviously because the thing is, is I've known you for you know a good few years now and I've got friends the same as you born in this country but still face those sorts of questions that you were talking about earlier we've mentioned previously about the royal incident where somebody was asked where do they come from as a person who's white and who views himself as an ally i've heard people making some questionable comments just i would classify it as just pure racism or microaggressions what advice would you give to us who are allies who are white and we hearing these sorts of comments and, and questions and uh, macroaggressions what advice do you give to us and the listeners obviously call it out yeah like that is the number one way you can be an ally call it out explain if you can if to why it might be the wrong thing to say or how and offensive have, you know yeah like why it's offensive like i remember growing up in my household and my mum won't listen to this but she, she'll be annoyed if I say this but she won't listen to this anyway mm. my mum I had a friend called Bobby Bobby was from Nigeria he was black he's passed now actually he died when he was quite young he had sickle cell anema but like um, that was a, my first experience of grief actually which was hard to take as a young person one of my good pals but she hated Bobby because he was black Okay. and like she had no reason to dislike him, him. Okay. minus that and we were pals I would hang out with him all the time but she despised that in a sense like and I used to call her out all the time so did she admit it though? 
I just knew it was because you of that. Because okay. she would she would say like, um, uh, how would she say like, or like Nigerian, like you know, Aye. in a sense, like in, in a really derogatory way. Yeah. And I called her out. That was my young age. Aye. I called her out all the time. My sister, I love my sister. She's great. But I remember years ago when there was a bigger influx of immigrants, etc., to the south side of Glasgow. We were driving through the south side of Glasgow, and then she made a comment about them because mm-hmm. they were crossing the road at the time. I was like, Aye. you can't say that. Yeah. Like, and I explained why but that is the way the culture works in this country even people that have been immigrants or children of immigrants are told to belittle people below them to make Aye. themselves feel better that's what the government do to us as well exactly just how it's out doesn't it that's what the political class do to us as well they put us against each other so yeah calling them out is the number one thing anyone can do and then try to explain why it is offensive that's true allyship yeah and the one thing that you know I've heard and I'm sure that a lot of the listeners have heard is when we hear somebody may be making like a racist remark and their excuse is it's because of their generation or how old they are that's something that really gets I mean it's annoying to me I'll give you an example you know my mum and dad are both in their 70s and grew up at the later end of the 40s and grew up definitely in a working class white area of Inverclyde but over the years I've been able to educate them on some of the terminology or things that they have said and it's been fascinating how they actually react because they just sit and listen and they will say do you know what we used to say that back in the day but I can understand now Good. We're, we're living in a pre- well, we're meant to be living in a more progressive world no, it's about yeah. sitting down with them and saying listen you've said this I need to tell you why this is offensive you could potentially say this in the wrong ears and you could definitely offend somebody by the comments that you've made and So I, I think that older argument gets used too much yeah and it was is used is that a free pass type thing oh don't mind that and they're, it, they're it, was, it was used in that kind of um, the royal family scandal Aye. recently as well because she was an elderly woman white woman she's an elderly white woman but my feedback to that is right her remarks to that person in particular could hurt that person mm-hmm. that can make that person go away and self harm whether that be in the form of alcohol whether that be in the form of drugs or actually mutilating themselves yeah. but if you correct that older person about their language and their behaviour they're going to go away and do nothing exactly so yeah. what's the what's the lesser of two evils there what's right. worse you know and I think that's my feedback to that because I hear that all the time yeah. oh they're old they'll just die off it'll be fine Aye. like yeah but it's not going to affect them them knowing that's wrong no it's going to affect the person getting a remark made to them that is a really good point that elderly white woman wouldn't have probably gone home unless um she might have known because it blew up and it's affected her. Well, but imagine <laughs> like, that hadn't blown up. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that hadn't blown up, right? It wasn't in the media. She would have probably gone home and not realised that she'd actually said or done anything wrong. She'll do it again. She will. She'll do it again. She's entitled. Aye. <laughs> you that know, is that. a part of it. Is that's a moment. That's and white privilege, you know, yeah. as well. Yeah, white privilege is a massive yeah. part of that, obviously. Can you explain to me um, what white privilege is? White privilege... I think it's hard to fully describe it, but I think white privilege, to me, is walking down the street and not having people second looking at you because you look different from everyone else. Walking down the street, not having folks shout at you. People not questioning where you're from. Having better opportunities. Having better access to healthcare, which is- Feeling safer. Feeling safer, like which healthcare is a big one because it's been mentioned many times, the amount of deaths, you know, versus like people of colour versus white deaths. Having people question your name in a CV perhaps. Mm -hmm. Like um, these all come into play in terms of what white privilege is. I think, you know, one of the other examples I can give you which is more recent, which is kind of quite real. I moved back to Glasgow from London like seven years ago now and in that time there's been a few kind of terrorist attacks in the UK. Manchester, obviously, with the um, that concert, Ariana Grande yeah. concert, and was post that attack. Like, I couldn't be in public transport without getting looks, mm-hmm. without getting things shouted at me sometimes. Yeah. 
I was carrying my blue Patagonia bag, which I have with me today. Yeah. That bag is great, it carries everything, mm-hmm. but people looked at me as if I was a terrorist Aye. because of the colour of my skin. And that is ultimately a form of white privilege, and that hurts. And, like, don't get me wrong, you get the odd person in the train who backs you up, obviously, and that's really nice, and that, you know, it makes you feel better about it. But it hurts because, you know, people are questioning you based on what this person looked like and how you look, even though there's no connection at all. It's ignorance, obviously, but, like, um, I don't go away feeling good after that situation. No. And these are the things in younger life that happened to me and my family, which led me to make some bad decisions throughout my 20s. I'm not trying to blame <laughs> everyone around me, you know, it's my own choice, but it did have an effect on my escapism, you know, alcohol, drug taking, like how I felt about myself and the abuse that I, yeah. you know, given to myself because of it. So if that one elderly white person, that one white person goes away and gets told that's wrong and explained why, and you go home a bit educated versus a person of colour going away and abusing themselves, what's better? Exactly. You know, you said there about the drug and alcohol abuse and stuff and not wanting to blame what happened to you in your past, but it's not about blame. It's about building up a resilience and it's about coping mechanism and it's what you do best to try and help yourself cope with, you know? Yeah. So leading on to the next question about mental health. So, you know, growing up with everything that had happened to you, obviously in childhood and being a teenager in self-identity, how has your mental health been impacted over the years since then? So, you know, I do think the things we've been talking about so far in terms of race had a really negative impact on my mental health, of course. Like, um, it just made me question a lot about who I am. Just everything that I say effectively and like what people, how people portray me, obviously, as well. And, um, you know, that did have a negative effect. And I used drugs and alcohol to kind of escape from that. It was the only way I kind of used as a cop- It was my main coping mechanism, really, in a sense. Like, um, and ultimately that and sexuality over the late teens, early 20s came into the mix as well. You know, I was just trying to find my way in the world, trying to find where I fitted in. Being a person of colour in the gay dating world can be a minefield as well. You know, like you get people that would, not so much these days, but in the past you would get folk that would put on profiles etc. Like no Asians, Aye. like you know, white people only, like um, you know. So that once again will play into my mental health and how it kind of negatively impacts me. Coming out was really hard. Like it was something that you know I, I had to come out because I was at a boiling point and like really beat desperate. myself. Up. Yeah, desperate. Beat myself up about it. Like that pressure cooker analogy was there. And then when I came out, I thought like this is great. This is all going to be like fine now. You know, everything's good. Like. Um, then you kind of go down that route of like you know the dating scene and you start to experience racism again and like um, I always find that bizarre because you know queer people gay people are a marginalised group so why try and belittle another marginalised group in a sense to make yourself feel better never understood that Mm -hmm. in my opinion really like um, and it is something that is very real but my mental health you know throughout my 20s was a bit all over the place in a sense like um, you know I just wasn't really that confident wasn't really that comfortable myself wasn't really that happy like um, I give off really kind of cheery happy vibes always have always will in a sense I put on a brave face effectively like um, I've learned to be that happy nice person that everyone gets on with and likes because it's one of the best ways to kind of like mask how I really feel and deflect and deflect effectively and make people realise that I'm just okay and like oh he's that nice person like him but not think and that's me just trying to deflect away from all the issues I've had growing up and aye. all the feelings I've had growing up basically in a sense like um, definitely 20s was tough mental health period like um, you know kind of I was never really that happy never really that comfortable and you know I used weekends and alcohol etc to uh, mask that when I got into my late 20s 
early 30s like um, I did start to understand a bit more about myself become more confident more comfortable with who I was and more mature in a sense um, the one thing that kind of set me back quite a few years really and kind of was grief so like um, my dad died when I was 29 you know it's 7 years now basically like I'm sure my age oh dear <laughs> like, um, uh, he's actually 45 but anyway <laughs> you're cheeky <laughs> I was going to say a word there, but I better not say it because it was. <laughs> I was going to say he's still yet to present a birth certificate, <laughs> a proper driver's license, which doesn't look as if it's been doctored in some back alley. No, but I'm joking. I do have a few grey hairs on me. That's <laughs> 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 anything. But definitely my dad's death yeah. um, at 29 really kind of set me back a little bit in a sense, or put a pause on me progressing with yeah. my mental health in general. Like, um, I experienced. I had experienced grief before, as I mentioned before, yeah, but I experienced yeah. grief of a, a family, loss of a family member for the first time, like a close family member. That's when I first ever experienced depression for the first time. Like, um, it was really tough. He passed away in April and I was back in London because I lived in London at that point, May roughly. And then I think it was maybe like June, July, um, almost through to August, then September when I moved back home. That summer, I experienced depression for the first time. It was a symptom of grief, obviously. My mental health was just terrible like how did that manifest itself and was it just you couldn't get out of bed was it your thoughts was it a sinking like, feeling in your stomach I'm quite a go getter yeah. like I get up get up and go just do it that's how I work like you know I'm self employed you need to be quite self motivated ah. we all have times of low motivation which I'll we'll talk about maybe in this podcast but like um you know I'm, that's how I work as a person and that summer like was lying in bed not getting up not wanting to get up which is not like me at all I was just really sad all the time I was just down all the time I remember at some points sitting on the balcony in my flat like um, listening to London Grammar like trying to make myself cry it wasn't happening I just felt empty inside numb. like numb is a good word to use like um, you know I never experienced depression before that point I used that during that time that period of time I used other behaviours to escape yeah. from what was going on I went through a phase of like a year and a half two years of going to particular parties mm-hmm. which involved lots of guys yeah, like, within um, the gay community yeah, within the gay community and there was obviously like um, some drug taking happening and other things which you know I've not ever been back to since that point and, and potential risk within that environment as well lots of risk within that environment and you know I knew what I was doing at that point wasn't that good for me yeah of course you know still get involved with yes. it all Aye. like I was trying to fill a hole Aye. literally <laughs> in a sense like um, it wasn't the right thing no. and when I looked around in those environments I was in and it was only for like two years but everyone in that environment was also unhappy Aye. want to be there really in a sense but it just felt like it's just a big self-destruct mode and you're just like you know absolutely and it is it's about self-destruction but it's also about escaping something having conversations with people everybody who was attending them was in the exact same boat yeah. we're all, they were maybe escaping from different thing. It, it definitely was and I you know I couldn't imagine going back there unless I go through another massive spell of depression Aye. which I haven't had quite like that since mm-hmm. you know I've went through low motivation modes and like you know I'm quite highly functioning when I'm yeah. in, a, in a low mood that period of time you know that couple of years after my dad's death like it took me a while to get back to a normal state yeah. again and it was kind of when I got to about 31 32 that's when I kind of trained to become a trainer and a PT and like I think at that point that was like the best thing for me to be honest I cut out 
alcohol pretty much like I was drinking but it was like next to nothing Aye. like I'd, I'd stopped taking stopped going to those parties wasn't taking anything else recreationally I was at my best I felt great I was focused I was building a business it's been almost five years now and like you know it's going really well and stuff but like that was definitely for me the best I've ever felt about myself and I removed all those bad things from my life Aye, the negativity and the negative behaviours yeah and it's when I started to really understand who I was and why I was doing things like drinking etc and like um, that was great you know and it, it really gave me a lot of clarity and you know I just felt like I was unstoppable to, to be honest <laughs> during that period of time like um, and that was one of my best ever mental health periods I would say like um, you know and obviously up to that point it was just all over the place really what's kind of set it off more recently over the last couple of years is well, and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people but we got into the phase of lockdowns yeah, etc yeah. um, once again lockdown for me the first year was very a positive experience because that sounds weird saying that but I oh. was trying to build a different business or diversify my business so I was really focused on that and that gave me that time to kind of think, think about what I was doing and in the second half of it I found it a bit more challenging when things were opening up etc we're getting back to normal life like um, I felt kind of like you know quite isolated because I spent so much time neglecting friendships and family and relationships because I was trying to build businesses I wasn't socialising as much and I can imagine you understand that being sober yeah. like um, you know you, you miss out on things mm-hmm. because you're trying to avoid mm-hmm. these behaviours which trigger you mm-hmm. and you sometimes neglect friendships mm-hmm. and relationships and you know I felt that at the end of lockdown because when I had a year of that but I had two years before that of that yeah. as well because I was focusing so much on work yeah. like um, but I felt great mentally so it's like what do you do here where do you go with this and definitely since post lockdown um, you know we've been reopened now for a year and a half two years properly um, my mental health has kind of went back almost to mid 20s to an extent where I'm getting like more low periods than I've ever had before but it's waves like you know it's waves of like really super productive highly motivated like going for it getting what's done you know lot in a space of like short period of time versus like just functioning just doing the bare minimum not doing any extra like um going into that kind of like defeated mode in a sense like um right now i'm actually in a really good position and i feel like motivated i'm achieving things and then up until like the early december i was in a really low place actually like october november i was in a really bad place and i had there were a few triggers for that and the triggers were the change of seasons for one um mum went into hospital as well we've had a lot of deaths in the family over the last few years um more on my mum's side so it's been hard to help her through that and watch her deal with that like um but when those triggers happen and i fall into that low spell i regress massively and i go back to all my past traumas start reliving all these issues that i had with race with sexuality like and these all come back you know and that's kind of where mental health is currently has been over the last couple of years and like um it's good but i know it can be better i know what it can can be Ruby you just farted and that stinks <laughs> I'm sorry but I had to say that yeah. like um, he's blaming the dog <laughs> I thought it was you at first first but I know her smell <laughs> like, no you'd be um, <laughs> be getting the place if it was one of mine like, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah like you know the definitely like mental health now I would say is good because I'm going through a bit of a kind of motivated phase and I've been achieving things etc like um, my pal was staying for the weekend so I had to get things on the flat that I haven't done since I moved right. in I was in a, such a low spell October, November I just didn't unpack them 
did them this week, I'm like, I feel great, I unpacked the box, you know, like, um, so for me, it's like, what can I, because when I'm in a low spell, which I was October, November, I function, I get things done, I do the bare minimum, I get by, but I don't excel. No. I like to excel. Even identifying that is a huge deal, because obviously, you know, you have your triggers, you know what your triggers are, and they'll be individual to you. But I'm sure years ago, you wouldn't have been able to have this insight because back then, as soon as you went into that low period, you just stayed in it. Whereas now, you know that there are other triggers. You know that, you know, you want an explanation as to why maybe these low days happen or you can do stuff to help yourself. The half the battle is actually identifying in the first place. Yeah, I agree. Like, because definitely in the past, I would have went down the, the abuse route yeah. and abused myself, you know, drugs, alcohol, yeah. etc. Whereas now, like you know I do drink but I think my drinking now is kind of it is very social it's more uh, recreational yeah. I, do, I don't really I need to understand my limit these days to be honest that's one thing I haven't fully worked out but like um, I don't really see drinking more of an escapism anymore no. I definitely think you're right because in the past I would have used different behaviours to you know cope with it whereas now I understand it and I get I'm in a spell of you know low, low productivity so at that point I do try and minimise work in front of me etc like um and just get by, you know, which is good because I guess that's definitely a move forward, and Absolutely. that has the beauty of maturing. I think a little bit because you start to understand yourself better as you mature. And Absolutely, and it's like an emotional uh, maturity as well. One of the things I was going to ask: when you have these low moods, is there anybody that you can actually reach out to and talk to? So There's you people, have got a support network. I've there. got a support network. Um, not that I always do, no. to be honest. Like, um, there's two people specifically that I would definitely speak to. One person I did speak to actually, my pal lives in Liverpool, Gina. Like, she's one of my really good pals. We've been pals since we're like, I don't know, 22 now or something. I did say to her, we video call a lot. Um, I think this is maybe like end mid to end of November. I kind of mentioned to her that I was just going through a lower spell in a sense. Like, um, just had to say, look, I've had a shit few weeks, you know. Like, you know, it's just not been that good. Like, um, so I do have that. It's not something that I always do or I've never really been good for doing and like um, I know I need to get better at that because you get yourself in a pure <laughs> like position didn't you in of a course. sense like, you can, it's, it's a, it seems like a deep hole sometimes that you are very much in and trying to dig yourself out of but it's extremely difficult because you feel you know I'm sure you've heard this before and you've mm-hmm. been in this position before but you feel like you're a burden obviously Aye. and you feel like you know that person how they're going to support what can they do they've got enough things to deal with they don't need to know what's going on with me etc and that's the mindset you have in a sense like and that's kind of common I think for a lot of people but really like sometimes you know speaking to people about that and saying what's going on can be a nice release for yourself mm-hmm. and it can help you deal with it a bit better as well mm-hmm. and help you move forward from it like what lifted me at my lonely really was getting away going to London for a couple uh, of days seeing some pals seeing some family like just having time off don't get me wrong I haven't threw myself in head first at everything I've just took it in slowly taking your stride getting there as we go and like um, I'm gearing myself up to be like super productive for the next yeah. 10 many months <laughs> until I crash again basically but like um, that's kind of what I need to get better at managing because yeah. I know it's going to come at some point and then you know at the start of this year things were chaotic joining the rugby team etc meeting all these new people socialising and stuff like um, so any poor mental health I had at the start of this year was more related to the fact I was drinking at the weekend and going out and partying and ultimately like it was just more because I was having down, downer from that but it wasn't anything else minus that you know and that's kind of 
where it helps you understand it in a much more stable place from a mental health perspective these days but it's those low spells that I need to try and work on but you know definitely mental health in my 30s is more under control versus my 20s the thing about burning out and the thing is there's nothing wrong with being productive there's nothing wrong with being busy but unfortunately there's a price to pay sometimes because one thing that we are very good at is not looking after ourselves you know we get into this like almost sprint where we're constantly if we're busy we're on this track we're going full hell ahead because everything seems to and appears to be going well it's like our brains are very fascinating things but the thing that we don't tend to do is is sit and take a minute and go I'm potentially in a danger zone here yeah but it sounds like you're more aware of that now in your 30s yeah I, I, like I would love to be understand when to hit the button on self-care because it's always when I get a week or two I'm like actually I'm not in a good period right now <laughs> like, um, and it doesn't hit me straight away you know and you're self-employed as well you understand what self-employment is like mm-hmm. It can be fucking tough going. Ah, absolutely. Like you know, I work from home. I work from myself yeah. from home. Like Ruby's with me all the time, obviously. But like um, you know, I, you know. So if it falls on me, you know, if I could start to understand and manage when I'm about to fall into a kind of lower period before it happens, then act. Then that could be great for me. Like um, and really, like when I'm in my really productive periods, I just try and do as much as I can anyway. Aye. You know, like and that's kind of how I work because I understand it. I might have to kind of get to that point. Like um. But yeah, that would be that would be the ideal. Yeah. You know, when I can hit that self care button and then just take a step back from certain things, you know, before I get into the midst of it. Because when you get into the midst of it, it's a lot harder to get It's harder to get out of. <laughs> you know, like um, it's much harder. I'm the typical person who doesn't talk to anyone when yeah. that kind of stuff happens, really, as I said before. Like um I'll just deal with it myself and like start to sometimes exercise not so good behaviours as well, which you know are not that great for you sometimes in a sense like where that be um abuse in many shapes different shapes of forms yeah absolutely so yeah so so now that we're coming to the end of the podcast tony is there any advice you would give to anybody who's maybe experiencing some of the topics that you have spoke about today obviously we spoke a bit about grief and low mood which can obviously translate to everyone who's listened perhaps i think with both those situations you know reach out yeah like as number one always you know i'm pretty sure if you speak to someone else about it you can connect on something that you're feeling let yourself be sad let yourself cry allow it because you need to let it out Mm -hmm. in a sense don't bottle it up there is always going to be services out there if you need them as well i'm pretty sure of it like that's obviously comes down to reaching out and just try and remember like good times if it's grief like that always helped me like i'm the funny one in my family believe it or not like (laughs) (laughs) like, no comment like um, and I made my dad laugh a lot and you know I've got lots of memories of my dad but one of my last memories of him was when I was up like in March and he passed in April because he was ill at that point obviously we were in the living room he was standing at the door and he looked skinny and gaunt compared to normal you know he was on his last legs I was just joking he was just in stitches you know he was just hilariously laughing like I just remember the good times because like they're never going to go away and you're always going to have them and getting upset here (laughs) like just always remember them like and think about them and cherish them because you know that's yours and Aye. your family members that you've lost so I think that's the kind of things I would say like um, and it does I know this is so cliche but no, it does get better yeah. this year my dad's birthday in September kind of like almost I knew it was coming the day happened I thought about it on before the day happened on the day of it I didn't think about it once yeah. 
and I didn't realise that I thought, fuck, I didn't think about dad in that day. These days can feel like a huge mm-hmm. monumental mammoth task to get through. It's always works out fine. You know, I'm seven years in and I still think about my dad not daily anymore like you know it was a point when it was daily and I was with my dad and you know I did lose a part of me and I felt that after that as well but you, you'll rebuild from Aye. it and you will become yourself it's a different version of yourself especially in that moment because if you're feeling any sort of grief and you're experiencing low mood it's very hard and difficult to have any sense of outlook and looking beyond how you're feeling in that moment but it's important I think it's not going to last forever but it's about reaching out speaking to people and saying listen I'm not doing too good today if it has come up to an anniversary yeah. I think that's a really important thing is just do not bottle it in so okay that's us come to the end of the podcast I just want to say thank you so much Tony for coming on it's always been a pleasure if you enjoyed it it's been good yeah it's listening to the other podcasts doing my own podcast now like it can be quite intense yeah. because you are opening up past trauma of course but it's also good to kind of get it off your chest and you said throughout this if one person listens to this and can connect from this and take something away from this and make themselves feel better then great if one person who says they're an ally can take something from this and understand how to approach it as an ally a situation to get themselves into then great that this podcast is doing its job thank you so much for coming on I hope you come back as another guest or maybe maybe yeah. well there's other things I didn't mention so that could be possible I know Jesus that would be like R rated let me tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not PG-13 anyway <laughs> we kid we kid Okay, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. As always, get in contact if you get any feedback or you want to send us a wee message. Please don't hesitate. I love hearing from you. And like you know, Tony has just said, if this reaches one person, then I think we've done our job. Thanks so much for the support so far. And yeah, I'll speak to you all soon. Thank you. <laughs>